Good morning. Well, this is the first Sunday of Mitch's sabbatical. I wasn't, I wasn't exactly expecting him to be here, but uh, he must be concerned over my message or something. I, I don't know if he's spying or uh, he just wants to be with you, probably the latter. But we wish uh, Mitch well on his sabbatical journey. We know that... Um, just like Jesus, eventually Mitch will be back up here. He's coming back too. <laughs> I hope, pray. It's my expectation. But in the meantime, um, I look forward to being taught by some other elders and well as some other special teachers. And I'm optimistic that during the next two months, Mitch will grow and be invigorated and refreshed. And I'm also sure that we're going to be strengthened as a church as we experience the variety of gifts that the Holy Spirit has displayed among us. But for today, there's me. I always approach this podium humbled and uh, with a bit of terror and also a bit of excitement, fear that I might lead astray, but excited to report to you the goodness of God that I have discovered anew as I prepare to teach. So let's pray together. Father God, your plan to redeem what was broken is perfect in every way. And you have given us, in your word, a remarkable roadmap delineating every twist and turn until we arrive at Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of your promise to Father Abraham. Holy Spirit, guide our wandering this day and illuminate our path so that at each step we take, we will say, Wow, God. Wow. We started our study of Genesis on February the 11th, 2018, one week shy of a year ago. And we've taken a, recent, a couple of recent side excursions for All Saints Day, Advent, Vision, Mission, and DNA. And we pick back up today in Genesis 25, verse 12. Perhaps we need to review a bit and reorient ourselves in our private time We open the Bible for a myriad of reasons, seeking comfort, assurance, encouragement, guidance, counsel. But how many of you, in turning through the pages, intentionally seek out one of the many genealogy passages that are there? There's a lot of them, especially in the Old Testament, and two very important ones in the New Testament, but I doubt any of us will claim one of these passages as our life verses. And I doubt anyone here can quote from memory any verse from any translation from any genealogy in the Bible, except maybe that, you know, well, somebody begat somebody, and somebody begat somebody else, and eventually, voila, there's Jesus. Well, today it's my privilege to teach two genealogy passages from Genesis 25. No wonder there was a wry grin on some of the elders' faces when I received this assignment. And even Emmett giggled a little bit about it this morning as we talked. After so many weeks away, let's look back, way back to the beginning. And as you know, that's how the book starts, in the beginning. That's the Hebrew title of the book. 
we get our title from the Greek Genesis, meaning origin. To me, origin implies an eventual destination. What is the origin and what is the destination? The origin is a pretty good place. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and he created mankind in his image, male and female, to tend the created order and have a close relationship with God. That's the end of chapter 2. All was good, very good indeed, perfect, in fact, but it didn't last long. You know the first three words of chapter 3? Now the serpent. Eve is tempted not to trust God's goodness or his boundaries, and she and Adam disobey. The continuing catastrophe ensues, which we refer to as the fall. But before we leave chapter 3, we hear some good news. In fact, it's the very first good news, Proto-Euangelium, Genesis 3.15. This is the ESV version. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The title of the sermon today is The Creation and the Election of the Seed. But the seed is not mentioned in the ESV. So what are we talking about? The Hebrew word translated here in the ESV as offspring is zerah. And its primary meaning is seed. So let's pull out our grandmama's King James Version down off the shelf, dust it off, and read the passage again. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Each of these translations conveys an important concept. The ESV conveys the idea that offspring does not refer to all offspring, but to one particular person and one particular serpent. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This passage is not about the continuing troubled relationship between mankind and snakes. It's about one particular man and one particular serpent. So as we begin our journey, remember we have an origin, a beginning point, creation. And we have a great disturbance, the fall. And we have a marvelous destination the one particular rescuer who will restore that which was broken. And the roadmap we will follow is God's marvelous plan and pathway of redemption. In the King James Version, the use of the word seed referring to one particular foreordained seed or individual gives us, let's say, mileage markers along the route and a reminder that we are on the right path leading to our destination. I promise we will eventually get to chapter 25, but not yet. More background first. Genesis 2 has Genesis has two distinct parts. Primeval history, which are chapters 1 to 11, and then patriarchal history, which are 11, pick up in 11 and go through 50. And each section contains five genealogies. The first in primeval history is not a particular person's line, 
but rather the generations of the heavens and the earth. It's in chapter 2. Then beginning in chapter 5, we have the generations of Adam. But the destination is not Cain or Abel, but Seth. Seth leads to Noah and his son Shem, not Ham or Japheth. We pick up patriarchal history with Shem's seed, Terah, and his seed, Abraham, and his seed, Isaac. And that finally brings us to Genesis chapter 25, verse 12. The generation of Abraham's firstborn son, Ishmael, and the generations of his secondborn son, Isaac. But before we go there, let's relook at our much anticipated destination. You know, as the saying goes, if you don't know where you're going, you'll never get there. So let's look back at chapter 22 and read God's promise to Abraham right after he nearly sacrificed the seed Isaac. I'll read verses 17 and 18 again from the KJV. In blessing thee and in multiplying, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand upon which, which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. The first mention of the seed refers to all of Abraham's offspring as the stars in the heavens. But then we see the gates of his enemies. It's in one special particular seed that all the nations will be blessed. How in the world will God be able to orchestrate that and how will we know that it is indeed He that is conducting the orchestra? We're about to see some evidence in chapter 25, but before we get there, let's pull off and look at some important sites in chapter 17. God appears to Abraham and informs him of the miraculous upcoming pregnancy of Sarah. I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she will be a mother of nations. Kings of people will be of her. Well, Abraham seems to think that God has lost his mind. Have you forgotten how old she is? God. And he says, Oh, that Ishmael, the firstborn son, might be before thee. It's not going to happen, Abraham. Your mind is on worldly things. Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. And when people see it, they will know that although it was impossible for a man and a woman... It was a breeze for God. Now finally turn to Genesis 25. Told you we'd get there. Josh talked from the first 11 months about a, first 11 verses about a month ago, and we witnessed the death of Abraham and attended his funeral. I'll read one important verse, verse five. Abraham gave Isaac all that he had. Why? Because Abraham finally realized that through Isaac, 
the secondborn, would come the seed. These are the generations of Ishmael. It's beginning of verse 12. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the son of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. Nebaot, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, Abiel, Adbiel, Mibsham, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tema, Jatur, Nafish, and Kinemah. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names. By their villages and by their encampments, twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael. 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt and in the direction of Syria. He settled over against his kinsmen. I won't spend much time going through the genealogy, but there are a couple of important takeaways. We have seen and will continue to see that God keeps his promises. And back in chapter 17, God makes this promise to Abraham. As for Ishmael, behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac. You see, God keeps his promises. Ishmael's twelve sons will establish the Arab nations. And we all know who they are today. He settled over against all his kinsmen. Verse 19 begins the second genealogy we have today and tells us about the birth of Esau and Jacob and the unexpected election of Jacob as the seed eventually taking us to our destination. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son, Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padamaran Aram, the sister of Laban the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, And she said, if it be thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Let's look at some of the interesting statements here. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to be his wife. Forty years old. This seems strange to me that he would tarry so long. Strange for one to whom has been passed the promise of his father 
to his father of uh, multitudes of descendants. And what about Rebekah? Her kinfolk, as they sent her off with Isaac in the previous chapter, pronounced this blessing over her. Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and your offspring, or seed in the KJV, possess the gate of those who hate him. She has this blessing, this expectation, but she's barren. It seems once again we have hit a roadblock in our travels. How are we going to continue the seed when it is humanly impossible, it would seem, for Rebekah to conceive? It says, Isaac entreated God in prayer and Rebekah conceived. How long? How long did he pray? A week? A month? A year? 20 years. And Rebecca conceived. You see, human inability is nothing for God to overcome. If God is sovereign, why is entreating prayer necessary? Do you believe the promise that the nations of the whole world will eventually be blessed? Do you think God wants us to entreat Him for that? I receive periodic emails simply signed RNA. And every one of them I'm asked to pray, and I do. We were asked to pray again this morning, and we did. See, several decades ago, I ran across a small book by a Chinese Christian and church planner. His name was Watchman Nee. Uh, He spent the last few decades of his life in a communist prison, but many of his teachings, his sermons, were written down by his followers, and A number of little books have been produced. And I ran across one called Let Us Pray. And he pictures God as a great and powerful locomotive. And he says our prayers are the tracks that the locomotive runs on. I'm not sure if that's absolutely theologically correct, but it's a pretty good image, I think. And And I think... Sometimes God waits for us to implore Him to do the things that He's already going to do. He wants us to partner with Him, to agree with Him. See, Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed. Do you think He was ever in doubt about the outcome? But He talked to His Father about it. And I think those prayers, those conversations determined every step that he took, every twist and turn, enabled him to be strong and confident. Jesus prayed. And we should pray too, just like Isaac did. 
God's promise to Isaac and Rebekah would come to pass, but God waited for Isaac to plead. Not one, but twins are conceived, and from the beginning, the pregnancy is difficult. They struggle together within her. The original Hebrew says that they crashed into one another. I've celebrated with many of you the blessing of pregnancy, but I'm aware that for some it seems at times it's not totally a pleasant situation, a pleasant experience. But for a great maternal instinct, you would call out to God and say, why is this so difficult? And Rebecca cries out to God, if it be thus, if this is the prophecy, is this... If this is the oracle being fulfilled, why is this happening to me? Distraught at the war raging inside her, she seeks and receives an oracle. We aren't given the precise process by which this occurs, but the oracle, the prophecy is this. Two nations are in your womb and two peoples within you shall be divided. The one shall be the stronger and the older will serve the younger. You see, one is being elected over the other. Not the way of expectation or the way of the society, but the way of God. It would appear that once again, God has a plan to take the normal way things happen and turn them upside down just to show who's in charge. Just to show this is my roadmap. Not yours. The boys are soon delivered, the first ruddy and covered in red hair. His name will be Esau. And the second appears to be holding on to his heel as if he's trying to trip his brother up. And eventually he will. His name, Jacob, sounds like the Hebrew for heel and also has the connotation deceiver. Hardly one we might select to carry on the line of the seed. But if we think back on the journey thus far, every time we thought we knew the path ahead, God said, turn down here. But this looks like the direct path, Lord. No, he says, I've got a better way. And when we get there, you'll see. Well, this brief genealogy of Isaac introduces the next ten chapters, which continue Isaac's story and the troubled and circuitous life of Jacob. But through all the perils, trials, and tribulations, the seed is preserved, and eventually he receives a new name, Israel. But even that is not our destination. So let's listen to a, a great preacher and apologist, Vody Balkum sum this up and show us where our path will leave. Maybe I'm a racist, but it just seems like to me that great big black guys with a booming voice can preach all circles around scrawny white guy. But anyway. God makes a promise in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. This promise involves the promised seed. He pronounces this promise and a curse against the serpent. The serpent believes exactly what God says, which is why in Genesis chapter 4 we have the first murder. What is the first murder? The seed of the serpent, Cain, kills the seed of the woman, Abel. 
The seed that was promised still had not come to fruition. Eventually, you come to a, a man named Terah who has an offspring by the name of Abraham. God makes a promise to that man named Abraham, and this promise involves, among other things, seed. But this promise is rather significant because he and his wife, particularly his wife, too old for seed. So how do you get promised seed if the seed-bearing woman is too old for seed? The answer is God must intervene. No, the answer is we got to find somebody else. Hagar, wrong answer. God didn't say a seed, he said the seed. Ishmael was a seed, but not the seed. Isaac is the seed. Isaac then goes on, and they have twins. Which one is it going to be? Certainly it's going to be the older. No, this is not about birth order. This is about election. The older will serve the younger. So it's not Esau, it's Jacob. Jacob goes forth, and if seed is going to come, certainly Jacob's got to find a wife. He goes to Laban, and he meets Laban's daughter and falls in love and thinks he's found the one, 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 one. Seven years he works and he gets married and wakes up next to the other one, one, one. And you thought it was a love story, but it was not a love story. It was an election story. The one whom he loves cannot bear children. Till way later in the story when she gives birth to a son named Joseph and then one named Benjamin. And then she dies. Joseph is loved above all of his brothers because he was the beloved son of the beloved wife, but he was not the promised seed. The woman that he didn't even want when her sister couldn't have children, she did. And she proceeded to give birth to Reuben, Simeon, Levi, the father of the priesthood, and Judah. And as we come to this story, Genesis chapter 37, we are introduced to Joseph. In Genesis chapter 38, there seems to be a chapter that's out of place. Because now we read about Judah and Tamar, the worst moment in Judah's life. Why is that there in the midst of the story about Joseph? Because it's not about Joseph. It's about Judah. Well, why show Judah at his lowest point? Because God has to redeem Judah for him to take his place as the head of the family and to be identified as the promised seed because of the electing work of God. And so God redeems Judah. And in what moment do we see Judah's redemption? When Judah says to his father, Jacob, send me with the boy Benjamin. I know you love him. And if anything happens to him, I will be his substitute. Judah goes on to have a son. It's a great, 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 great grandson. And his name is David. David, just like his father Judah, shows up on the scene like this great, 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 great grandfather of his. And what does he do when he shows up on the scene? When he's finally identified and the promised seed brings forth his presence with authority. He walks down into a valley where there's been a giant who made this proposition, send me a man to fight with me. If he defeats me, we will serve you. If I defeat him, you will serve me. David goes down, fights the giant as the representative substitute for God's people. 
wins victory over the giant, thereby winning victory on behalf of all of God's people. And great King David, descendant of Judah, eventually has a greater son who is a greater king, who is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The New Testament opens up with a genealogy. And basically that genealogy screams the God who made a promise in Genesis chapter 3 has fulfilled that promise. These are the lie of the promised seed who will crush the head of the snake. And what does great kings David, King David's greater son Jesus do? Like his forebears, David and Judah, he stands as a substitute on behalf of God's elect, lays down his life, accepts the wrath of God poured out upon him that he might win victory on behalf of God's people, that all of those who are found in him might be rescued. told you that was pretty strong. It would be easy to quit here and have a prayer and sing. But I'm not done yet. I have two questions for you. As we think back of this road map, what God wants to accomplish what he is accomplishing in creation and in humanity. First question, are you rescued? Do you understand that in the fall you inherited the sin nature of Abraham and Eve, or of Adam and Eve? Do you realize that the rescuer was your righteous substitute on the cross? where his heel was bruised by that old serpent. And do you know that on that great getting up morning, he dealt a crashing blow to the head of that serpent? Redemption is yours for the asking. But I know that in this gathering, most of you are answering, yes, rescued. That's me. I know the rescuer. And do you ask a second question? Rescued for what? You see, we've arrived at what appears to be our destination, but another greater destination lies yet ahead. The completion of the promise. All the nations of the world shall be blessed. Perhaps some of you may be at your wife's urging have dealt a death blow, a deadly blow to that snake slithering across the backyard. And you know that even after a mighty blow, that snake still squirms. And I've heard even the severed head of a rattlesnake can still bite. We are in the year of the Lord's favor, the age of redemption, but the complete blessing is not yet accomplished. 
I don't understand it all. You know his ways are higher than our ways. But for some reason, I believe that somehow he has made us to be the seed of the seed. To all who did receive him, who have believed in his name, he gave the right to become children, offspring, seed of God. His promise is sure, but maybe like the need to pray, we also have to go to work too. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, the seed has said. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We say, for the glory of God, we will disciple the nations. Maybe we should add, Mitch, for the glory of God, because He keeps His promises, we will disciple the nations. And just like it was for those before us, the road we travel will not be easy. We are not promised comfort along the way, no Holiday Inn Express on this road, but we are promised the nations. Could we be so bold? To claim even the tribes, the princes, the seed of Ishmael? Ryan, you think that Albanian in the airport was the very seed of Ishmael? They're waking up. They're saying, why, why am I dreaming about him? Can you explain it to me? The thought of it makes me want to say, wow, God, wow. Worship is the only fitting response to God's good plan of redemption and restoration. So let's uh, worship Him. And as we're singing, let us all be proclaiming, wow, God, wow. Let's pray. Father God, what a great plan. You show it to us and you ask us to trust you and to step out. Holy Spirit, to walk this road with you, this road of redemption. We know the promise is sure. What a privilege it is for us to be a part of it, to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And to say, He can save the nations. Lord Jesus, we give You thanks and we praise You this day. Holy Spirit, we pray that You will empower us to be witnesses to all the world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.